Bookstack with Richard Aldous, the Books and Ideas podcast brought to you by AmericanPurpose.com. Don't forget to check our website for all the latest commentary and analysis. And it's where you can find details of our new membership model. Simply go to AmericanPurpose.com forward slash join to sign up. Coming up on the show today, my Bard colleague Frederick Hoff, former ambassador and special advisor for transition in Syria in the Obama administration and author of the new book, Reaching for the Heights, the inside story of a secret attempt to reach a Syrian-Israeli peace. Uh, Fred, welcome to Bookstack. Oh, Richard, it's a pleasure to be with you. And congratulations on the book. Um, As you say, somewhat disarmingly at the beginning, it's common enough to write a memoir about success, but less often uh, about failure. And and you describe this uh, as a, a failure, ultimately, that will haunt you for the rest of your days. So tell us why. In the in the end, Richard, despite uh, despite the fact that the uh, that the mediation I was conducting seemed to be moving in the right direction, um, it came to a uh, it came to a jarring halt when the uh, when the president of Syria, Bashar al-Assad, uh, decided to respond to peaceful protest with uh, with really over the top uh, state violence. And you know when 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 that happened and the and the process came to an end, uh, it wasn't long before uh, before I began to began to ask myself if I had done everything I could have done uh, to have had this uh, had this uh, process in better shape months earlier, so that the uh, so that the problem of uh, violence in Syria might we'll never know, but it might have been avoided altogether. Uh, if, if we had been in a different place. And and before we get on to the details of your attempts to mediate peace between Syria yeah. and Israel, you know, you're a, a diplomat in residence now. You know, I, I wonder, you know, what is the relationship, do you think, between action and subsequent self-interrogation, um, uh, both, both in this book and in the classroom, I wonder? What, what is it about being a practitioner uh, you think that, that um, is unique in, in telling this story, well, first I, you know, I must say that uh, as I was writing this story, and I began writing it in uh, in 2019, I became immediately conscious of the fact uh, that this was going to be unlike uh, many memoirs. Uh, normally, normally in, an, in a memoir, it's uh, it's easily predictable uh, who the hero is going to be at the uh, at the end of the day. Um, it, in, in this case, as I, as I went through a, a, a great deal of self-interrogation, what was done correctly, what was done incorrectly, uh, I found that uh, I was anything, anything but a hero, uh, that I had, uh, I had conducted the process uh, properly. There were good diplomatic practices employed. Uh, but but in the end, I, I I made the mistake of not fully understanding the intentions and priorities of the home team. I was focused on my uh, on my foreign interlocutors. So in the classroom, I find uh, I find this this particular approach to uh, diplomacy to be to be very useful in terms of acquainting students with uh, with lessons learned, uh, you know, from actual experience. And in our classroom, we go through uh, something like uh, 12 uh, different case studies 
many of which uh, I was uh, part of and uh, all of which I'm uh, quite willing to acknowledge. Uh, shortcomings as well as successes. I mean, if it's, it's one thing that your study of history uh, taught you is that American diplomacy has been involved in, uh, di- in looking at uh, Syria and Israel since the inception uh, of those independent states uh, in the 1940s. Uh, and you ruefully point out that th- there's been more failure than there has been success. So kind of in, in some ways, the odds were stacked against you, perhaps from in the beginning, you know, we had a uh, we had a difficult uh, difficult history with our uh, with our Syria Israel diplomacy, uh, especially beginning in the uh, in the nineteen nineties when when Bill Clinton came to the presidency in January nineteen ninety three. He was definitely interested in uh, trying to bring about Arab Israeli peace, and Syria Israel was his uh, was his first priority. Uh, through mid-decade, there were some uh, there were some good uh, there were some good efforts. Uh, there was a measure of cooperation from both parties, uh, but at the in the end, it, it it fell apart entirely with two absolutely disastrous uh, diplomatic encounters. One was a, a summit meeting at uh, Shepherdstown, uh, West Virginia, and the other was a uh, was a summit in Geneva involving the dying president of the Syrian Arab Republic, uh, Hafez al-Assad. So it uh, it ended disastrously. Uh, The Bush administration never really really took it up. There was a semi-promising Turkish mediation going on between Israel and Syria, but even that even that came uh, came crashing down. So yes, the odds uh, the odds for success were not uh, were not weighed in my favor uh, from the beginning. Uh, it was it was George Mitchell, the facilitator of uh, peace in Northern Ireland, who who asked you to work with him in two thousand and nine as part of the uh, new Obama administration. Um, it's interesting to me that he assumed that you'd want to work on uh, Israel Palestine, but instead no, instead you said no, uh, it's Israel Syria. And I was very struck that in many ways this is partly because it's something that is has interested you uh, since you first went to Syria as a schoolboy. Indeed, uh, I uh, when I was 16 years old, um, on a whim, I applied. Uh, uh, I applied to the American Field Service, the AFS, uh, for an exchange student uh, assignment, uh, one that could land me literally anywhere in the world, and uh, and where I landed was in Damascus, Syria, and uh, you know from that time as I. As I became acquainted uh, with Arab-Israeli matters and, uh, you know, the Syrian official relationship with the United States government, uh, the idea, even even at the age of 16 and 17, that someday, someday I might have an opportunity to do something about the uh, about the situation I was witnessing this, uh, this fascinated me. And, uh, you know, as it happened, it, uh, it took many years and it was, uh, it was the former Senate Majority Leader George Mitchell uh, who, ga- who gave me the opportunity ultimately. Yeah, I wonder what, what was Mitchell like to work with? Uh, George Mitchell is, a, uh, is, the, uh, is the consummate gentleman, a very uh, even-tempered individual, uh, but someone uh, who makes it his business uh, to get his way uh, on uh, on virtually everything, uh, but it was a uh, 
it was a pleasure to work for him. It was an honor to work for him. At times, it was challenging. Uh, Special Envoy Mitchell uh, decided to focus almost exclusively on the uh, on the Israeli-Palestinian track of the peace process, which is obviously uh, the centerpiece of the uh, of the of the conflict. Uh, and as such, he. Um, he unavoided, unavoidably sought to uh, monopolize the time of uh, the Israeli Prime Minister, uh, Bibi Netanyahu, uh, leaving me really unable uh, to, make, uh, to make much progress, at least in terms of communicating, with the, uh, communicating directly with the, uh, with the Israeli Prime Minister. Uh, but, but other than that, uh, uh, Senator Mitchell was, uh, was immensely uh, supportive throughout, and uh, you know, never, never failed to step up to the plate whenever I, uh, whenever I requested assistance on something. Yeah, it's interesting uh, you pointing out that in many ways part of the challenge is carving out time. That that seems to be something that comes across time and again. That that you make the argument that Syria is absolutely central strategically. For example, uh, at one point you say that this that peace between Syria and Israel would be a way of delivering a crippling blow to Iran. But but constantly you're trying to get time. For example, Thomas Donnellan, the uh, the deputy and the national security advisor. Is someone uh, who is not really in your camp, that he has this uh, attitude, dismissive attitude towards the Syrians, that describing them as knuckleheads and so on. That, you know, what, what, <laughs> yes. what, what, why is it that it's so difficult, particularly given what happened subsequently, to convince people that Syria is so important? Um, you, you know, Richard, uh, you know, from, from the beginning, uh, at least from the beginning of, uh, 2009, when I, uh, when I first, uh, when I joined the state department after 15 years in, uh, in the private sector, I was motivated, uh, personally, not only, not only the, the, by the lifelong dream of making peace between, uh, Syria and Israel, but, uh, delivering a severe blow. Uh, to Iran and uh, and to Hezbollah in particular, because there was no doubt in my mind uh, that if Syria were to uh, be able to achieve its own objective, uh, which was one of retrieving all of the territory it lost to Israel in June 1967 during the June War, for Syria to succeed, it would have to be completely reoriented geopolitically uh, in a way that could convince the government of Israel and Israeli citizens in general that any threats to the Jewish state emanating from Syria or from Syria's relationships uh, would be neutralized. So I considered this to be a, uh, to be a, a major objective. I think the Obama administration had kind of uh, split feelings about all of this. Um, on paper and verbally, the administration was committed to comprehensive Arab-Israeli peace, which by definition would have uh, would have included uh, Israel, Israel, Syria. Uh, the administration opened with a policy of engagement towards Syria. Uh, trying to see if some of the differences between Washington and Damascus could be ironed out uh, diplomatically through uh, through communication. Um, as time went on, however, 
and I say this uh, with the full benefit of, uh, of, of retrospection, 2020 hindsight, it's clear that President Obama and his closest aides, with the notable exception of Dennis Ross, uh, had come to see the Israeli-Palestinian track of the peace process as, as virtually equivalent to comprehensive peace. And uh, as, the, as the Arab Spring began to uh, gather in force uh, during late 2010 and early 2011, I think the administration came to the conclusion uh, that, uh, that Bashar al-Assad of Syria was not likely uh, to survive what what many saw as a you know inevitable uh, blow up in Syria, and therefore and therefore without any without any official announcements, I think the president and uh, key members of his staff began to back away uh, from the prospect of uh, Syria-Israeli peace, uh, w- without informing me, I must say, uh, but. Uh, but nevertheless, I think that this is where this is where the administration ended up, very, very, very skeptical about uh, the prospects for peace between Israel and Syria. Yeah, I, I have to say that the way in which you present the Obama administration is pretty damning in the book, actually, that, I mean, particularly as the talks teeter on the verge of, of collapse, you urge President Obama to intervene directly with Assad, but but he refuses. Uh, would that have altered the course of what is now a horrific history, you ask? We will never know. I mean, it's essentially... You accuse President Obama of being more interested in making speeches uh, and appearances on television than actually picking up the phone and trying to make a, a difference with Assad himself. Yeah, and I and and Richard, you know, to be perfectly honest, and I and I think this is reflected in the book. Um, I I was not of the opinion uh, that a telephone call between between the two presidents uh, would have uh, would have definitely stopped the violence in Syria. Indeed, I thought it was probably less than a 50-50 proposition uh, that it would have. Nevertheless, I thought uh, I thought uh, uh, very strongly, and I had the complete support of Dennis Ross on the White House staff, that the president should indeed pick up the phone and tell Assad, look, unless the violence stops, unless you find a way to deal uh, with these protests diplomatically and peacefully, a very promising mediation, a mediation in which you, Mr. President, are directly involved, one that can return to Syria every inch of land lost in 1967, this mediation will come to an end. This, uh, this, Richard, was essentially uh, the message I wanted President Obama to deliver to President Assad. Would it have succeeded? I think probably not. But it may have. It may have. And as we look back now on the wreckage of Syria and on the, uh, on the considerable wreckage visited upon American foreign policy during the course of this uh, Syrian uh, crisis, uh, yeah, you know, it, it appears it appears quite possible that a real opportunity was lost. Uh, but you know, sadly, the bottom line is we'll we'll never know. And it it would not have taken 
a tremendous investment on the part of President Obama to try to get to the bottom of it and at least do his best. Yeah, one of the things that that's striking is that uh, you say that there's an analytical soundness is the is the phrase that you use, but the, but the, this is an operational problem. There's there's a a lack of astuteness. It seems to me is what you're accusing the president of or President Obama of there. Well, I you know I think and when I you know when I'm told uh, by uh, by people who uh, who worked for president who worked directly for President Obama. I did not. I worked directly for George Mitchell and also for the Secretary of State at the time, uh, Hillary Clinton. But what I'm told is that the president was becoming uh, increasingly preoccupied uh, with the prospect of a re-election campaign in uh, in 2012. Uh, Bashar al-Assad was certainly not the most popular figure on the American political scene or in the uh, in the halls of the United States Congress, um, the uh, the initial reaction of the Assad regime to peaceful protest uh, had received very critical uh, 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 coverage in the uh, in the U.S. press, as it should have, and that the president the president basically was seeing any outreach to uh, to Assad as uh, politically risky in a in a domestic political sense. If you if you add that to to what I suspect was skepticism about the uh, about the actual value of Syria Israel peace skepticism that seemed to be well rooted in the administration uh, you get the uh, you get the perfect storm of uh, of inaction at a uh, at a very critical time. Yeah, in in some ways, it, it seems that the argument that you and George Mitchell uh, were making uh, is a broader one. Actually, I mean, you you talk about Mitchell uh, phoning to tell you eventually that that he's leaving, um, and your comment is that he'd started with carte blanche from President Obama and ended up being steered and second guessed by the White House. That that seems to get to the nub of the of the matter. Yeah, I can I can remember uh, uh, the very the very first time getting word that uh, that Special Envoy Mitchell was uh, was going to be summoned uh, to the White House. Uh, uh, I think it was the Situation Room for a uh, complete uh, interagency review of his uh, of his efforts. And I, I thought to myself, well, this <laughs> number one, I doubt this is going to happen. And if it does, I can't imagine it ending ending well. Because he did, he did have carte blanche. Uh, he started with the uh, complete confidence of uh, of Barack Obama, and you know George Mitchell. George Mitchell did his best. Uh, everything he learned in his political career, he tried his best to apply to the uh, Israeli-Palestinian track of the uh, of the peace process. Uh, he fell short. I think you know mostly because his uh, his two interlocutors, uh, President Abbas of the Palestinian uh, Authority and Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel, uh, were were not really willing uh, to engage in uh, in meaningful negotiations that would have required meaningful compromise and uh, and sacrifice. So so in in the end. Uh, Special Envoy Mitchell uh, found found himself uh, subjected to a great deal of uh, rudder guidance 
uh, by the uh, by the White House staff. And uh, ultimately, in uh, in May 2011, uh, uh, decided that uh, he just really wasn't getting anywhere. And uh, to my to my great regret, uh, he resigned. Yeah, the thing that that pushes you over the edge in in terms of resignation is following the the slaughter of of civilians in in Syria. Uh, the response baffles you. Uh, the response by the administration it's it's the creation of this big interagency group that uh, it's a make work project designed to keep people busy. Uh, you say uh, somewhat contemptuously uh, of that, uh, and and you resign. I do wonder though whether I mean how important. Do you think that what had gone before uh, is on policymaking, the experience in the Middle East generally and specifically uh, in Iraq? How 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 important is that to ha- to the way in which the Obama administration subsequently behaved? I, I suspect, uh, Richard, that the uh, that the war in in Iraq was absolutely critical uh, to the way in which President Barack Obama processed matters in uh, in Syria. Um, Iraq, Iraq uh, 2003 invasion, sub- subsequent occupation, uh, the uprising in Iraq, the uh, the American casualties, all of this was uh, was at the basis of the 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 foreign policy formative process of uh, of Barack Obama. As he began to uh, rise first in Illinois politics and then uh, and then in in Washington, he was uh, he seemed to be persuaded uh, that any step he would take uh, to protect Syrian civilians from mass homicide would lead inevitably to invasion, occupation, and basically uh, Iraq part two. Um, I, you know, I thought this was, uh, I thought this was wrong. I thought it was uh, destructive to American foreign policy. Uh, and uh, I thought, uh, you know, for a time I, I might be persuasive on that score. When my mediation came to an end, Richard, my, my, uh, my immediate instinct was to return to the private sector. I was asked by our Deputy Secretary of State to stay on. And uh, in retrospect, I'm sorry I did, uh, because uh, as you indicate, I uh, I felt uh, I felt required to resign uh, in uh, in September uh, 2012 when I came to the conclusion uh, that not only did the administration not have a strategy towards Syria, but it really it really didn't want one. It 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 preferred to handle Syria as a uh, public affairs crisis rather than as a uh, substantive foreign policy crisis. I wonder about um, uh, once you're out of uh, once you're out of the State Department. Um, uh, what what about the successor administration? How did that? How did President Trump do on Syria and the Middle East more broadly? Do you think? Well, I I think in uh, you know in Syria, you know there there were there were some times when the uh, you know when the when the Trump administration uh, performed well. I mean, it reacted twice militarily to uh, chemical weapons attacks uh, by the uh, by the Syrian government. Now, one can uh, one can argue whether those uh, military responses were effective 
or not. Uh, nevertheless, it, uh, it disproved uh, the proposition that was widespread in the Obama administration, starting with the president himself, that any such response would lead to invasion, occupation, possibly even, uh, even World War III. I think the, um, I think the president had, uh, it, generally speaking, President Trump had, generally speaking, a good team advising him uh, on Syria. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, it was the president's own temperament uh, that at times uh, undermined him on this question. I mean, twice, twice he hung up the telephone after uh, after difficult conversations with the uh, president of uh, with President Erdogan of Turkey, and and twice. Uh, you know, ordered the United States, ordered the, uh, uh, his Defense Department to basically liquidate uh, the American presence in northeastern Syria. And uh, his staff had to quietly push back against this and, uh, and, and, and basically undo a uh, presidential decision. Uh, more broadly, I think the, uh, I think the president's um, uh, deal of the century on the uh, on the Israeli-Palestinian front uh, was was a case study in how not to do diplomacy. I mean, if your if your interest is is truly one of of helping Israelis and Palestinians arrive at a mutually agreeable uh, solution, then then you you have to undertake extensive and intensive consultations with both parties. And there was uh, uh, virtually no contact uh, with the Palestinian side during this entire episode. Now, obviously, the the book is about uh, the Middle East and 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 very much rooted in the specifics uh, of dealing with the situation there. Um, I, I wonder how much do you think that you can spin kind of uh, principles and ideas out more generally? So, for example, uh, how does your experience um, within the administration dealing with Syria? What kind of lessons do you think that we could draw, uh, for example, on something like the current uh, Ukraine crisis? I think uh, I think Richard, it's uh, you know it's very it's very important to um, master the brief. Uh, this is this is requirement number one, uh, regardless of what the uh, of what the diplomatic mission is. I think the Biden administration has done a a, a reasonably good job uh, in this in this respect in uh, in Ukraine. Uh, you know, perhaps, perhaps from the beginning, the the willingness and the ability of the Ukrainian armed forces to perform successfully against the Russian army was was underestimated. Uh, but once that uh, underestimation became clear, the uh, the requisite uh, requisite adjustments were made. I think it's I think it's very very important uh, for diplomats to understand the uh, the intent and the goals of the commander in chief I think in in my case uh, this was a uh, this proved to be a shortcoming I think in the case of uh, in the case of Ukraine it, it seems it seems pretty clear that the that the key actors 
William Burns of the uh, of the CIA, Secretary of State Blinken, the National Security Advisor, all seem to be uh, tightly wired in to uh, to the Commander in Chief, President Biden. Uh, you know, these things would uh, would seem to be basic. One 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 would uh, be inclined to uh, assume uh, that this is all a given in diplomatic tradecraft. Uh, but as I uh, as I discovered in my own case, uh, it's uh, it's not necessarily true. And I think even uh, even Special Envoy Mitchell uh, would testify that uh, that there came a point where uh, where he was not not terribly sure of the uh, of the commander in chief's intentions and 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 what about the middle east uh, today i mean it it seems to me there's only ever so much oxygen political oxygen in the room at at any given time so much of that is being taken up uh, now by uh, by the ukraine crisis and and to some degree china uh, i wonder do you feel that our eye is off the ball uh, to mix my metaphors uh, when when it when it comes to to the middle east no, I think uh, I think I think. Look, I, you know, President Biden has has made it very clear uh, where he would like his foreign policy priorities to focus. Uh, the Indo-Pacific region is uh, is number one. Uh, right from the beginning, uh, President Biden has said that uh, you know he wants to spend a great deal more time focusing on the Western Hemisphere. Um, an excellent idea. Uh, the Middle East was not at the beginning even mentioned as a uh, as a, a terribly important priority uh, for the Biden administration, other than obviously maintaining and upholding the relationship with uh, with Israel. Uh, the problem with all of this is that uh, is that circumstances and events uh, rarely permit even American presidents, uh, from, being, uh, from being able to uh, work their priorities in the order rendered in, uh, you know, in national security documents and so forth. Uh, the, Middle East, the Middle East will always, it will inevitably uh, produce events uh, that will require uh, the sustained attention of the President of the United States. Indeed, uh, you know, President Biden did not expect at the beginning uh, that he would be dealing with Russian aggression on uh, on Ukraine. Uh, so, and I think you know, much the same is going to be true about the Middle East. There will inevitably be one damn thing or another uh, that's going to uh, require the sustained attention of the uh, of the president and his administration. Or as Harold McMillan said, "Events, dear boy, events." <laughs> they do, they do indeed. He was quite right. <laughs> so the book is Reaching for the Heights, the inside story of a secret attempt to reach a Syrian-Israeli peace. It's written by my guest, Frederick Hoff, and published by the US Institute of Peace Press. Uh, but for now, Fred, congratulations again, and thanks for joining us on Bookstack. Richard, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and an honor. So that's it from us this week. Don't forget to check our website, AmericanPurpose.com, and to leave us a review on your podcast app. The show is produced by Demir Marusik. Do join us again next week. But for now, this is me, Richard Alder, saying thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.